Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here's a message from a guest speaker. We pray this message speaks to you. Well, greetings. So good to be here. And uh, the way I met Adam actually was on Facebook because it's such a wonderful tool to meet people. And uh, I had done a comedy show at Covenant Church of Pittsburgh. And I had paid, oh, yeah, amen, all right. Uh, (laughs) um, And I had posted some clips of people singing, and Adam posted under it, I love this, if you ever need a chunky white boy in any of your productions, (laughs) please call me. And I did. So I called him, and I was like, remember when you said, do you need a chunky white boy? I actually do. And, uh, and, and I, I still remember calling him to do that part, which was a principal part, and it's, it could only be the Holy Spirit that would have linked us that way, because in theater, you don't just call someone and say, you have this part, and I've never met you before. But I kept t- telling my mom, for some reason, God is drawing me to this. And so we'll just see what happens. And it was just wonderful. And I have been so honored to be his friend and so honored to be here today. Now, I told him uh, for me to speak on a Sunday morning. I have not spoke on a Sunday morning in a very, 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 very long time. Don't panic. It, sh- it should be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do youth ministry a a long time ago in New Kensington. I'm from Pittsburgh. I live in Florida now, but I'm from Pittsburgh. And uh, actually, when you put up there that there was a church lock-in and Christmas, I got inside just a little bit of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Flashbacks started coming back like, oh, Jesus, I... (laughs) Now, really, he went to intercession for those of you who will be guiding that uh, process. Amen. So glad to be here. Glad to be here tonight for the Women's Gala. I want to say that my beautiful mother is here with me. Just wave here. I bring her wherever I go just so she can do that queen wave. And she is the queen. I'm going to tell you a quick story. It will tie in, but it has to do with her. Don't panic. When I was 12, this is the way I knew that God was real. And I grew up in a family where I say that um, ministry was the family business. And so everybody was a preacher or a singer. That's just what you did. And so I knew that part of it. But knowing God was real, I was 12. I was in sixth grade. And um, Eaton Park, I usually, when I tell this story, people don't know what Eaton Park is, but y'all do, so that's wonderful. <laughs> um, I was going to Fort Crawford Elementary School. I was in sixth grade, and that's back when, I'm dating myself, that's back when you could go home for lunch. Anybody remember that? Like you could leave and come back? Okay. So it was lunchtime, and I announced to my friends in class, I'm taking everyone to lunch at Eaton Park. And so, of course, kids were like, all right, well, let's go. So we walked our little 12-year-old selves down to Eaton Park. 
and we had hot dogs and fries and milkshakes and we had the time of our lives until a waitress came to the table and she dropped something on the table that was long, it was curled, it was white. <laughs> it's what I now know to be a check. <laughs> now at 12, I didn't know anything about that. So I realized, oh, someone has to pay. I said I was gonna pay. I don't have any money. <laughs> now you may be like, well, why did you do that? Because that's the kind of kid I was. <laughs> So now I start to feel that cry. You know that cry inside where it's like <laughs> that? So I start feeling that, but I don't want to let everybody know I don't have any money and I don't know what we're going to do. So I go to the bathroom and I'm in the bathroom and then I just let the cry out. So I'm like, <laughs> and I see a window in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but it's small, and even then, I was a portly child, so I was like, you're not going to make it through that. <laughs> so I collect my emotions as much as a 12-year-old can. I walk out the door, and the, the, the uh, Eaton Park in New Kensington is the exact same setup. When you walk out the bathroom door, the actual door to the restaurant is right in front of you. So I came out the door, and I always, because... In school, I had, believe it or not, some behavioral challenges. And so my mother was constantly at the school. So I knew the sound of her keys when she would come to the school. I came out the bathroom door and I heard key, what I thought to be her keys. And I was like, how is that possible? And when I came in, I was always short. She was always tall. I ran smack into her. And so I looked up and talk about your mixed emotions because I know that she's gonna pay. I also know that I'm going to pay. <laughs> so, so I look up and I'm staring at her and she said to me, do you know how I know that you are here? And this is before cell phones, this is before Pagers before all of that. And I said, no, no, ma'am. And she said, the Holy Spirit told me you were here. Now go get your coat. Now I'm not going to tell y'all what happened to me later that day. <laughs> I don't want nobody calling the authorities or anything like that. I turned out fine. But from there, I knew two things. I knew, number one, that God was real. And number two, that God is a snitch. <laughs> And both of those things are still true, guys. <laughs> and strangely enough, that does tie into what I want to talk about here briefly today, which is, first of all, the culture, the culture that we live in right now. Um, the radio show that I'm blessed to be a part of is a syndicated show, and um, the co-host and I talk about the culture a lot and what's going on in our culture. And we were brought up a story about, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's called, uh, in the UK, they call it the Ministry of Loneliness. Have you heard this? They're, they actually have a person who is over a department about loneliness in that country. People are so desperately lonely, they created a whole department to address it. 
And that's not just happening there. Any statistics, if you just Google millennials and loneliness, millennials and anxiety, if you Google hopelessness, our culture is just permeated with it. And I really, in my deepest, the deepest part of my spirit, I believe, even as we were singing today, it reaffirmed it, that revival is on the way. I really believe in the face of the loneliness and the hopelessness and the anxiety, there is going to be a slow turn to then what is real. (laughs) Like this isn't real anymore. Like once you start doing stuff and you're like, this doesn't work, what does? I really am, that is good news because when all you have is bad news, you will start to look for good news. And I believe, I really do believe it. I believe that there is going to be a slow turn of the culture like then, where is the hope? And I want to read you 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. You can write it down. And it says, for this is the way, no, 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 I'm sorry, where am I? Is that right? No, no, I definitely don't want that scripture. (laughs) Can you go to 15? If I come back here next year and I'm married, you know God pulled a fast one. (laughs) I live with my mom and we all know nothing about that scripture. (laughs) Yes, Lord. This looks a little better. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I believe that what's going to happen is, and it is not a popular thing to say, I am going to say it. I believe revival is coming. I believe a slow turn of the culture is coming to look to what's real and look for hope. I do not think the first place they're going to come is here. I think the first place they're going to come is you. Now you can bring them here to the jingle jam. But the first thing they're going to want to know is why do you have hope? What is that? Why, Why do we don't have it? Why do you have it? And I will tell you that when I first read this scripture, I, th- I was in my maybe mid-20s, maybe mid-20s. And I, was, I had started doing talk radio, that's my job, and it was on Christian, and you know, people like to argue and you know, get in there and mix it up in Jesus' name. <laughs> and when I read this scripture, I thought that it meant theologically. You with me? So I went to seminary. I already had a degree in communications, but I went to seminary because I thought I better have an answer for the hope that lies in me. I better be able to answer these tough questions. And there's a lot of pressure on us in the culture to answer these tough questions, right? 
And so I went to seminary and I learned stuff. And I, Now, simultaneously while I was doing that, I will tell you that I was in probably the most rebellious time of my spiritual life ever. And when I say rebellious, I don't mean, well, you fell into sin. I don't believe in falling into sin. I don't know how that happens. Like, look, what is this, sin? We fall into temptation, usually we run into sin, right? Sin is a decision, and it's a decision we can make over and over again. And I did. I made a decision. God said one thing, I said another, and I said, and that's what I'm doing, what I say. And I'm not being purposely vague. Like, if any of y'all find yourself in South Florida, and you want to talk about it, take me out in the aisle, we'll tell you a story. (laughs) Just not here on Sunday morning. (laughs) But I was in a very, very, very rebellious time while studying. Are you, are you with me? <laughs> while studying scripture and learning more and more and learning more and more and learning more and more. And I promise you, I could out-argue you on anything. I could get on that radio. I was on Word FM. I could get on that radio and I could rip you to shreds theologically. And my life was a big heaping pile of garbage. And once I got to the end of myself, and I started to realize, oh, I'm going to die. And those were my actual words. I'm going to die if I don't turn around. And God showed me, yes, you are, but I'm still here. He's still here. And I repented. And then I thought that when I repented, all of the consequences that came with my poor decisions and my rebellion and my sin, I thought that those were going to go away because I said, I was sorry. (laughs) Jesus, did you hear me? I said, I I said, I was sorry. (laughs) And he took none of them away. I had to live through every consequence of my decision. But hear me, please hear me. What he made painfully clear to me was that he wasn't leaving me. And so through every consequence, he made his presence known with me. He's still here. I still got to go through that. I still got to pay that off. I still got to tell that person sorry. I still got to fix it. But he's still here. And I learned through that, that God, and when I learned it, I told anybody and everyone that would listen because I didn't know. Growing up in church, knowing all I knew, going to seminary, I didn't know this. That God was committed to the process of changing me. (laughs) That Calvary was such a high price that my rebellion was not enough to turn him off if I humbly came to him. (laughs) And that I was going to be conformed constantly into the image of Christ and that was going to be a real ugly process and he was going to be there. And he was going to do it. When I found that out, I told everybody, you don't have to change yourself. He'll do it. And he's committed to that process. What I'm telling you is, if someone would ask me, why do I hope in him? It would not be my seminary teaching that I would give. It would be that. That he walked with me when I thought he should turn away. And what I think God is looking for in this revival that he himself is going to create are people that can vouch for his character. Amen. 
<laughs> you may know stuff like about him. You may have learned stuff, but actually knowing him. I think that's what he's looking for. That's a revival. When someone says, why do you hope? I can say, because I made a wreck of my life and the spirit of the Lord still stayed with me. <laughs> now, the problem here is when I say that, then people are saying, well, are you saying don't study? You can't tell us not to study. We have to study. Please don't tell us not to study. I study. I enjoy studying. Why don't we study? It's like, yes, please still study. So please don't hear me saying you don't have to read, you don't have to go to school, you don't have to, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying none of it replaces relationship. <laughs> can, I, can I show you something? Let me make sure I get this scripture right. <laughs> First Samuel, is that right? 17? 31, that's it. <laughs> yes, okay. So here's a, here's a boy, okay? Because what we're, what we're talking about here, seminary made me an expert witness. God walking through my consequence with me made me a character witness. <laughs> expert witness is great. We need them. Character witness is something else. And I think with all of social media, I'm sure nobody in this room, of course, but most people on social media think they're experts. <laughs> I had no idea so many of my friends had political science degrees and, oh my goodness, such policy that you know. <laughs> Everyone's an expert. That's not as important right now, I believe, as a character witness. So look at David. David says he's out there and uh, uh, Goliath is shouting and, uh, uh, I'm trying not to use Ebonic language here. Uh, angrily yelling <laughs> at the army of Israel, right? And Israel is scared. The troops are scared. Now, can, I, can we agree on the fact that those are the experts in war, right? And they're terrified. Here comes a little boy with some food for his expert brothers. The guy is yelling, and he's like, who's that? Why does he get to yell like that? And then the brother's like, stop, you're causing trouble. And then David's like, hey, God, uh, who is that? Why does he get to yell like that? Now, what is David talking out of? He's not talking out of expert because he's not a soldier. He's talking out of character. And he's not even defending himself. He's defending God's character. <laughs> That's how well he knows him. Guys, you see what I'm saying? Look at verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Now, this is very funny because in the King James Version, it says it was rehearsed to Saul, which means David must have been running his mouth so much. <laughs> Somebody was like, let me tell you exactly what he just got done saying. <laughs> What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, we turn it here, yes, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off his sheep from the flock. 
I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. (laughs) Y'all feel me? This is a character witness. This is someone saying, and listen, David has been a character witness his whole life. When the, when the prophet came to anoint a king at his house, and he said to the father, David's father, bring all your sons in here, we're going to find a king. He brought experts in. These were men who looked like they would go to war. These were men that looked like king. Then there's a scrawny little boy in the back. They don't even call him in. He back there singing with sheep. <laughs> little do they know he's so connected to God he's killing lions and he's killing bears and he knows the heart of God and God said I don't need an expert I just need someone who knows me <laughs> that's what the culture is looking for they may act like they don't believe in God but I am telling you from everything I see and all my interactions they wish it was true they're just looking to us for hope so David says and later in this scripture actually Saul's like all right we'll go ahead then that's an ebonic translation (laughs) and he gives him his armor and David says I can't use these I haven't tried these this is expert stuff I don't need this I know what I need. I know the character of God will deliver that Philistine in my hands because he's done it before and he will do it again. That's hope. That's what people are looking for when Goliaths are yelling at them, whatever it is, whether it's their own sin, whether it's their own health, whether it's their job situation, decision, they have all of this yelling at them and you're not scared and it's yelling at you too. Why do you have hope? That's the question that's coming in this revival. That's the question we need an answer for. Now, the problem is, can I give you another story? I'm not going to just write John 9 down and you can read that later. John chapter 9, here's here's an issue that we're going to have with this revival, with what God wants to do. In John chapter 9, there is a guy who has been blind since birth. And, and the, the disciples ask a really arrogant question. Who sinned? See, you only ask that when you think you don't have no sin. <laughs> Sinners don't ask that question. Because <laughs> you don't want your stuff out, so you would never ask. <laughs> In the bar, who's drunk? We all are. <laughs> so the the disciples say who sinned that this man is think how arrogant that is look at this man it's who sinned that he turned out this way and Jesus said no one this is for God's glory then Jesus spits can you imagine that because you're blind you can't see you just hear Or you'd be like, wait, now what? (laughs) 
I can't see nothing, but that sound sounds familiar to me. <laughs> Puts mud on his eye, he can see. Now the experts are mad. These are the Pharisees, they're mad. Who did what? And this chaotic scene happens. I love this scripture. Go home and read if you get a chance because it's just dripping with sarcasm, which is something I enjoy. He, everyone's like, how did this happen? Who, uh, they bring the parents in. The parents are basically like, he's grown, ask him. He comes in. They're giving him expert stuff. You're not supposed to, on the Sabbath and, and then and this and this and this and this. And this man basically says this. Listen. I don't know what y'all talking about, really, Ebonic. <laughs> Let me tell you this. Yesterday, I would have only been able to hear you. Today, I can see and hear you. I know that's what that man did for me. Any other questions? Y'all gonna have to go ahead and ask him. <laughs> This is a story that's going to be a little more difficult for us because as believers in our, in our evangelical world, we like to look good. So it's nice to tell the, the, uh, the, the lion bear story. It's nice because we look awesome, quite frankly. Grabbed his I mean, glory to God, of course. But then I, but then God, me, but God. That's nice. When you're blind... It's all him. And you're going to have to be okay, not only just letting people see the weakness so that he can get glory. See, I was a little quieter here. Because <laughs> we don't like that. We don't like people to know there's parts of our lives where we're blind. But God is letting that happen so that, and the second thing you don't have to be okay with is something supernaturally happening. I can't explain it, but now I can see. <laughs> so that when the culture turns and says, do I need hope? You can say, sweetheart, I don't know what you're going through, but I know what I have been through. And I can't tell you that you can change yourself. And I can't tell you that I can change myself, but come see a man. He did it for me. I am convinced he can do it for you. I know how blind I was. <laughs> and I know now I can see. <laughs> but showing people our weakness is very difficult for us, especially when we've built so much on our morality. <laughs> I mean, I'm flying back to Florida later, so it is. <laughs> we've built so much on our goodness. We've built so much on our betterness. We've built so much on our superiority that now a world that needs help is looking and we don't look like we could help because we're portraying that we've been good all the time. And therefore, as in this story, where is God's glory? It's only there because the man was blind. Which means somebody's going to have to see that you can't see something. Somebody's going to have to see that you can't fix something. Then when God does it, we can both stand back and marvel at the glory of God. Because <laughs> that's what they're looking for. They already have enough of themselves. 
That's what our culture is. You, 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 you. Self, 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 self. Personal truth. The problem with personal truth is it leaves us with no common sense. We don't have anything in common. I got my truth, you got your truth, everybody got their truth, and we don't have anything in common. And when we don't have anything in common, it leaves us lonely. So while I'm there, I might as well go one step further. John chapter 4, write that down. This is, this is by far my favorite scripture. It's the woman at the well. And I love this scripture because this is a woman who is minding her own business. And this is a Jesus who is tired and hungry, but still finds her. My God, the culture wants to know that that's real. They want to know they're being sought out after. Do you know that, do you know that uh, the, the song, uh, is it Reckless Love? You know that song? I don't, I, I don't know if there was a, a controversy among people who listen Maybe there was. It was definitely a controversy in the industry that I work in where describing the the love of God as reckless, people didn't like that. And so there were actually people who didn't play the song in the industry, wouldn't play it on the radio because they thought that that was impugning the the character of God. And I said, You may, must not have ever been somewhere where God had to really find you. (laughs) Yeah, he found you here on the pew. Well, no, that's not reckless. (laughs) God has had to go into some places to find me. That I can't believe he went there. And it seems reckless to bust in there and demand to see me as if I'm his when everything to the contrary right now seems like I'm not, but he's still claiming me. And that's why I always say my mother can travel with me wherever she wants. You know why? Because in my darkest, worst sin moments, this woman, for some reason, believed no She kept seeing this. And she, with sick, she called, was it you or grandma that called the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit? She would sick the hound of heaven on me. I don't know where she is, but you do. And his love is so reckless. And I I look at this. He's not supposed to be in Samaria. He's certainly not supposed to be talking to this woman. Not her. Not this race of people. But he does it. And he starts talking to her. And I I may... uh, (laughs) It's sort of a joke, but we may not find it funny. I said, I think in the beginning, she thought she was getting hit on. I mean, y'all go home and read it for yourself, all right? Because <laughs> he said, can you get me a drink? Like, for a woman that has lived a certain type of life, I know y'all haven't, so congratulations, Laura Ingalls. But other of us... <laughs> Pastor Kurt, don't put me out. I'm just going to be here another couple... Okay. <laughs> 
So he says, get me a drink. And you know, if you li- you've lived a certain type of life and you're used to men approaching you a certain type of way, you would think a certain way. Everybody with me on what I'm saying here? And it's not until he starts talking about something deeper than what she's used to that she starts to realize someone else is in front of me. And they start to talk about this living water. And I believe her spirit began to realize how thirsty she is. And that this man is offering her something that no other man has ever offered or was ever able to give. And they start talking religious language and Jesus goes right past that. And he said, why don't you go get your husband? That's my favorite, because first of all, if we knew she had five husbands and she was living with someone who wasn't, we would have started with that. (laughs) You don't need a beating around the bush. I know you had five husbands. I know you did. (laughs) We'd have led with it. Jesus leads with the condition, and then he talks about the symptoms. The condition, sweetheart, is you're thirsty. The symptoms are these five guys and the one you're living with. And she leaves and she says to the whole city, come see a man. Come see a a man. I got hope now. What I'm telling you is part of the problem when the world and the culture comes to us and says, do you hope? Why do you hope? You're going to have to tell them about your five husbands. You ain't got five husbands. You got five of something. (laughs) I'm going to let you go ahead and think that through. Because how can someone with three or four know that there is change and transformation for them if you won't tell them about your five? I'm telling you this is real. This is the revival God wants to do. I do not believe that God wants the revival to come top down. Meaning the Christian industry, which I work and I'm grateful for it. It helps me pay for my mama and I'm thankful. I don't think that that's what he wants it in the church. In the people. Us. But we're going to have, I know we say real all the time, but I'm talking about a real where you are able to say, this is what he delivered me from. So that we're not scandalized when people come and say things to us. We're not scandalized when they tell us about their lifestyle. What? Oh my God, I don't know. I said to my mom this, just this morning, I said, I'm believing God for this Saturday or the other. And you know, she said to me, and it was something big. And she said, that ain't nothing. (laughs) Do you, oh, Jesus, help me. Do you know what refreshing water that would be to someone? When they come to you and they lay their soul bare and you say, that ain't nothing. Let me tell you what got, two husbands? Sweetheart, sit down. (laughs) I got something to tell you of what God has done for me. But if we won't let people see us blind, and if we won't let people know all of this baggage we had that God has set us free from, listen to me. The fruit of the Spirit, number one, is supernatural. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? So it's not you loving your husband and your kids. So what? 
You don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. Maybe y'all husbands sometime, I don't know. <laughs> now go ahead and pray about that. <laughs> it's supernatural. It's what Adam was talking about where race is concerned. So that people on the outside can look in and be like, how did they figure that out? It's supernatural. But guys, fruit, actual fruit on a tree is not for the tree. A tree is not there to eat its own apple. The fruit is for someone else walking past the tree. You see what I'm saying? And so now we have a lonely, anxious, hopeless culture looking for fruit in our lives. And if you hear me, please, 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 please hear me. If you hear me saying to you, start a blog, write a book, do a podcast, I'm not saying any of those things because I think we got enough of those things. And that's coming from someone who got all of them. I don't think, I think just your neighbor knowing I just think the parents in the PTA with you just knowing. I think the, just knowing that you have been blind, that you have had this baggage, that God has done something supernatural in your life is enough for a revival to start. If every person in here has two people asking you, why do you have hope? And you are able to point them to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you understand the revival that would happen in this place and spill out? I believe it and I, I, I do not I'm grateful to be able to do this I'm grateful to do whatever God has me do but the biggest testimony to me is the change that God has made in my life And it's that word that you're able to speak to a dying world. Not from a pulpit, not with a mic, sometimes just over breakfast. Because they're that lonely and desperate and they don't need another Facebook post. They need to know that this God is real. I'm gonna end with Psalms 103. This is your homework, guys, and I'm coming back and making sure you did it. <laughs> Psalm 103, it's your homework. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, I like that because whenever you start a new job, what do you want to know? <laughs> What's the benefits like around here? <laughs> and that will stop you from taking a job, won't it? Yeah. What? Y'all have no benefits. <laughs> this says, do not forget his benefits. Now look at verse 3. Who forgives all your sins and heals your diseases. Stop there. Here's your homework. You're going to take this scripture. And under each verse, you're going to write your own vouching of God's character. Now, when it's forgive all your sins, you may have some deep stuff, so go ahead, get a lock for that diary <laughs> until you process your thoughts. Y'all understand what I'm saying? 
When has he forgiven your sins? When has he healed your diseases? Verse four, redeemed your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Write that story out. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his ways known to Moses. These are the things you have to recite in your own life. What is your story? What is your history with God? Someone is coming to ask soon. Can you vouch for him? Can you be like David and said, let me tell you something. I have seen bears and I have seen lions and I have seen Saul's and I have seen Jonathan's and I have seen Michael's and I've seen Goliath's and I've seen Philistines and I have seen Ziglags and I have seen all of these things. But at the end of his life, he said, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken. <laughs> Or his seed begging bread. That's what I know. I know God take care of his people and their kids. Ebonic. <laughs> what is your story? Why do you have hope? I'm going to ask you something. Do you have hope? When someone comes and asks why, why are you not afraid like we are? Why are you not freaking out at every breaking news story and everything that's happening in our country? Why do you not lose it? What is the source of your hope? And I want you to be just like my mama, child, that ain't nothing. <laughs> do you know the God that I serve? <laughs> do you know who he is? Do you know what he does? Do you know what he's done? Sit down and let me tell you about the God I know. I do believe revival is coming. I do. And I want to be a part of not just the industry that I work in. I want to be a part of what God's doing on the ground. <laughs> I want to be a part of that. I want him to trust me with his character. There's nothing worse. Is there anything worse than thinking someone knows you? And then knowing that someone has said something negative about you and they didn't vouch for you. God's like, can you vouch for me? And I'm like, yeah, I can. I can. You have been reckless in following and looking for me and saving me and hugging me and cleaning me up and rebuking me and then bringing me back. And he has just been, his pursuit of me has been relentless. That's what I can tell people. He doesn't leave you. <laughs> Revival's coming, guys. You ready? You ready? Before I turn it back over to Pastor Kirk, can we just raise our hands? I want to pray. Father God, Father God, Father God, thank you for your word. God, our hands are upraised because we want to be character witnesses for you. God, forgive us for all the times we have forgotten your benefits. And now I pray that the Holy Spirit, even now, will begin to rehearse in our mind what you have done. Things that we have forgotten, that you've healed, that you've touched. Lord God, remind us of who you are in our lives, who you've been, how faithful 
faithful you've been, that you have been unspeakably good and unthinkably faithful. Thank you for what you have done, God. Now write it on our hearts when our souls are disquieted, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus, we would remind ourselves who you are and who we are in you, that we are the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. We are raising our hands as a witness right now. <laughs> right now, we raise our hand. Yes, we will vouch for the character of God. Yes, we will vouch for the character of God. And for this revival that you are going to bring in this place, in this land, God, we thank you that we're even allowed to speak your name. <laughs> we thank you that we're allowed to participate. And we're raising our hands saying, yes, we will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out at centralconnect.org.